With that, I want to invite your attention to Romans chapter 8 and say to you that it is very reasonable, no matter what you're enduring, that if you're a child of God, it is profoundly reasonable to give thanks to God this Thanksgiving season. There are many reasons to say so, one of which we will focus on this morning. But it does remind me of Dan Reeves. Do you remember the Atlanta Falcons head coach for a number of years? Uh, led them to some great successes. At one time, Dan Reeves was a tailback for the Dallas Cowboys. And when his first child was born, he rushed to the hospital, got there, and the child was born. He came into the room. This was before the days when fathers accompanied mothers uh, in their delivery. And he asked to hold the baby. And his wife said, not on your life. He said, well, why not? And she said, you fumble too much. There are some of God's children today that are frightful and fearful that they will not make it to heaven and find that they've got full salvation because they're afraid God will fumble them. That He has put some kind of conditions on salvation that they simply cannot meet and that they will never perform. I've got good news for you today. God has not given that kind of salvation. In fact, I'll go so far as to say to you, if you could lose your salvation, you would. You would. Charles Spurgeon, in fact, used to quote this bit. He said, If ever it should come to pass that the sheep of Christ might fall away, my fickle, feeble soul, alas, would fall a thousand times a day. And that's true. If we could lose our salvation by our behavior... We would. Now that's not to say all those who think and claim and profess faith in Christ have actually been saved. That's not to say that at all. I do not believe, cannot affirm, and will fervently, vigorously deny that coming to Jesus Christ and having eternal security and eternal salvation in Him is a license to go out and do whatever you want to do then without any fear of consequence. Someone like that has never been born again, according to the Word of God. There is no hope of heaven. Well, somebody may say, well, what about all those that have walked down an aisle, gone through the baptistry, and never lived a day for God and have lived every day for the devil? What about those Christians? And I would simply reply, you don't know any Christians like that. You don't. You know some hypocrites. Well, they've never been born again. You also know uh, some have made a false profession of faith. They've never been born again. Salvation saves. Salvation does something of salvation to the soul. It rescues a person from sin or else it's not salvation. And that's what uh, Paul is teaching here in Romans chapter 8. In fact, he said that the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, gives believers eternal security. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He couldn't be more clear than that. In verse 2 he picks up, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to 
the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work makes salvation eternally secure for everyone who repents and believes the gospel. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do to make us secure in Christ? Well, there are several things that surface from the text, and one is this. The Holy Spirit closes cases. The Holy Spirit closes cases. That's a remarkable thing to me. But David Wilkerson, founder of Teen Challenge, evangelist, pastor of Times Square Church until four years ago when he passed away in Texas, he um, struggled uh, for many years with this question. In fact, uh, David Wilkerson was a powerful evangelist. I think it's easy to estimate that at least a million people turned to Jesus Christ nationally and internationally because of his evangelism ministry. And God used him to raise up a free drug rehabilitation program, which is the most effective in the nation. In fact, the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, did some research and found that 68% of graduates of Teen Challenge, after seven years of graduation, are drug-free, alcohol-free, free from tobacco, free from everything. And for no cost, by the way. And that the highest-rated programs, uh, secular programs, about 15%. May have changed since that research was done, but wildly effective and successful. In fact, I have helped get a couple of young men into Teen Challenge. It's misnamed. It's really for young men and young women, young adults. Uh, and so Teen Challenge is not the best name for it, but it's so popular and known among uh, law enforcement and others that uh, they've simply kept the name. But David Wilkerson was powerful and used of God. But David had a theological background that taught you could lose your salvation. And so in his 70s, after decades of effective service to God, he voiced to his son, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if I've done enough to please him. What we've just read in verses 1 and 4 communicate an entirely different message. The assumption here is that God the Father has arrested us, imprisoned us in condemnation because of our sin. But He's not satisfied with that. And so He's come up with the plan through Jesus Christ because of His great and abundant love for prisoners, those who are guilty before God, for Jesus Christ to serve our death sentence. We're awaiting trial, but in the meantime, Jesus Christ fulfills the righteous requirement of the law, the sentence of the law. And that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. He bled there and suffered our sentence. And so Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He appears in court before the Father with wounds in His hands and victory in everything else and declares before the judge, His Father, that the sentence has been paid. The moment we repent and believe the gospel, the court of God sends the Holy Spirit to our prison and liberates us and frees us instantaneously and eternally. The righteous requirement of the law of God, its condemnations and its sentences have already been served and the Holy Spirit has released us from the prison of God's condemnation. And that's what he's talking about in verses 1 through 4. Listen to me. Please listen carefully. You may worry can I please God? Can I satisfy Him? And I need to give you a resounding no. You're not able to please God. You'll never do it. Your heart and your mind and your soul conspire against you moment by moment to keep you from doing that. But God loves you, so He's come up with His own plan to please Himself, and He's done it through Jesus Christ. And so the, the question is not, can I please God? 
The question is, can Jesus Christ please God on my behalf? And that's the question before us. And church, may I ask you, did Jesus Christ please God? Well, I think the resurrection is quite a testimony from heaven that He did. He is risen from the dead and the Father is pleased on your behalf. And Jesus Christ then gives the, His resurrection and crucifixion to you as a gift. And all of this is arranged by God the Father Himself. Child of God, listen to me carefully. Jesus Christ has bled on your behalf. He's risen from the dead. And the Father has accepted that as pleasure and satisfaction of His law. There's nothing else to pay. Well, wait a minute. That may be true for all of my past sins, but what about my future sins? Do you not understand and realize that when Jesus Christ bled on the cross and rose from the dead, all your sins were future? They were. And God accepted what Jesus Christ did at the cross and resurrection for you. And the moment you repented and believed, the Holy Spirit went to the prison house in which you were located under the condemnation of God and set you free. Now, that's not the end of the story. Quite frankly, Jesus met you out on the courthouse steps and said, hold on just a minute, we're not finished. He brought you back into court and made a motion before the court that the judge, the Father Himself, adopt you as His own child, according to verse 15. And so you've gone home with Him. You've gone from prisoner to child of God, all because of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that is something that makes us eternally secure. Your job is not to please God to be made right with Him. Your job is to trust Him. And that transforms your life. Now look, if after receiving Christ you want to please the Father, oh, you should. But you do not seek to please God. You do not seek to please God because you're afraid you'll go to hell if you don't. Oh no. You seek to please God because you're grateful that He's made you eternally secure. You do it out of love, not out of selfishness. Not out of desire to stay out of hell. Instead, Jesus Christ is taking care of that and you please God because you are grateful for what He's done for you. So the Holy Spirit has closed your case before the court of God. But there's a second thing. The Holy Spirit not only closes cases, but the Holy Spirit creates change. D.L. Moody, who in the 1800s was the Billy Graham of his age, was on the streets of Chicago one day walking someplace, and he met a man that was as drunk as Cooter Brown. And uh, the man was quite proud of himself, too, for being so inebriated. And he came to uh, D.L. Moody and said, Mr. Moody, I, I'm one of your converts. And D.L. Moody said, well, you must be because you're certainly not one of God's. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible expects and anticipates a remarkable growing and increasing change in the life of those who come to Jesus Christ. And that's described in verses 5 through 13. And there are several things that the Holy Spirit changes when Christ comes into our life. One, in verses 5 through 8, He changes minds. Look in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, eternal death, separation from God and hell. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When Christ comes into your life, He sets your mind on the things of the Holy Spirit, and you begin a resistance and a conflict and a battle 
that you may not always win, but the predominance of the evidence is that you do. You begin a battle where you resist the things of the flesh, and so your mind is set on the things of the Holy Spirit. Mentally, there is more thought about the truth of God when you come to Christ. He begins that. It's not perfect to begin with. It's really never perfect in this life, but it is increasing and it is growing. And so the Holy Spirit changes minds, the content of our mind. He changes the consequences of our mind and moves us on to think more and more like Christ. So he changes minds. But then in verses 9 and 10, he changes hearts. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. It's mortal because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so whenever you come to Christ, it begins a change of the heart. Because the Holy Spirit makes you, your person His own personal residence. May I ask you, do you have the Holy Spirit in your heart? May I say to you, there should be no doubt whether you do or not. There should be no more doubt about whether or not, or evidence whether or not the Holy Spirit lives in you than there was my wife lived in my home a week after we got married. When she moved into my home, when we got married, I was in for a shock. She took over the place. She turned my mismatched furniture and artwork and everything else I had in my home into country elegance. And it all looked purple when she was done and complete. Purple, lavender, various shades of that. Indeed. I must admit, please don't tell her, but I must admit it was more than I could... Well, I won't say that, but it was different. <laughs> the only thing I had in the house that, was, that belonged to me, or any space that belonged to me, was about six inches in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom. And she arranged that. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's profoundly clear that He's been there, and it should be obvious and evident to you and those closest to you that the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. So He changes minds and hearts. He also changes futures in verse 11, and this will be um, uh, instrumental in the next point. But if the Holy Spirit in verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So in the future, the Holy Spirit will be the member of the Trinity that raises you from the dead. And that leads us to verses 12 and 13, where the Holy Spirit changes behavior. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen to me. Some of you are very surprised when you hear that people that have never changed have never been born again or saved. You're very surprised. I'm surprised when people think otherwise. Because if the Holy Spirit was able to raise Jesus from the dead, and if the Holy Spirit will raise believers' body from the dead when Christ returns, does it not stand to reason that the Holy Spirit can change you now in this day? If He can pull off a bodily resurrection, He can certainly transform behavior. And so we must ask ourselves, am I different since I believed? And then verse 14, the Holy Spirit changes our decisions. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
these are the sons of God. Let, let me paraphrase this in context. For as many as are led into righteousness, into purity, by the Spirit of God, it's these and these alone who are the sons of God. Now this is a great encouragement. If you come to Christ today, or if you've recently come to Christ, I want you to have some hope and encouragement today. Because the Holy Spirit's going to make some changes in you. In fact, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone and share with them about receiving Christ, I tell them, you need to be alert. If, if you repent and believe the gospel over the next several weeks and months and years, Jesus Christ is going to change you and make you look more and more like Him. And you need to know that's what you're signing up for. And that's what I would say to you today. You come to Christ today, you're signing up to be changed and made more and more like Christ by the Holy Spirit. He's going to change your mind. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your future. He's going to change your behavior. He's going to change your decisions. And you need to know when you come to Christ, that's what you're signing up for. So I want to let you know that to encourage you. But this is also a test. This is also a test. If there is no change, there is no Jesus in life. If there is no difference, there is no salvation at all. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. So when I'm dealing with someone who is doubting and doesn't quite know when they came to Christ, I lead them through a little exercise. I ask them to read through the book of 1 John every day for a week and come back and see me. But I want to ask them to read through the five short chapters of the book of 1 John, which describe the changes that come about in life. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. And so one mark of knowing Christ is that we're humble about our sins. Uh, and then uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so obedience is a sign. And then also love for the brethren. If you just can't stand churches, you've never been born again. But whenever you uh, know Christ, you begin to love churches. You begin to love the people. You begin to serve. And uh, 1 John chapter um, 3, verse 14, By this we know we pass from death to life, that we love the brethren. And on and on. And so there are those kinds of changes indicated in the book of 1 John. And I ask those who are doubting, to read through the book of 1 John and come back and see me, but answer this one question whenever you're reading through 1 John, and that is this. When did these changes begin to happen? Not that you've been perfect, but these changes have been growing and increasing in your life since you came to know Christ. If there is no change, there is no salvation. But if you can mark a point where you are a different person today, then indeed, the book of 1 John says you've come to Jesus Christ. All because of what we're studying here in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit changes minds, hearts, futures, behavior, and decisions. But there's a third uh, work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit confirms confidence. He confirms confidence in verses 14 through 17 of Romans chapter 8. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, well, these are the sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
And so the Holy Spirit inspires confidence in your standing before God. Um, you should have, if you've got His leadership, you should have some confidence. If He's directing you out of sinfulness and directing you away from temptation, or if He's bothering you whenever you do succumb to temptation, then you've got His leadership. And that is an encouraging thing according to verse 14. And then His acceptance, verse number 15. He testifies to your heart about your acceptance as a child of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear when you believed in Christ. In other words, coming to Christ should eliminate your fear before God. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit will testify to your spirit that you're adopted by God, and whenever you're struggling in the moment of despair, He will move you and provoke you to cry out to God in an intimate term that a child in trouble would call out to a first century father, Abba, Father. The most intimate term that you could think of for the Father. And then the Holy Spirit will give you confidence in His testimony. He Himself has something to say to your heart. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself, not through necessarily a human being, but the Spirit directly Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, the word witness is a fascinating word. It's made up of a preposition and a verb. And it says uh, here that he bears witness with our spirit. And the word here is sin matureu. Uh, matureu, to witness, to bear witness. And sin is a preposition that intensifies it. And so the Holy Spirit intensely, clearly, obviously, with thunder and with vigor, testifies to the child of God that he or she belongs to Jesus Christ. In other words, if you have Christ in your life, you have the Spirit, and he eliminates doubt that you're right with God. So the Spirit himself bears witness intensely with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit should have already told you that you do, and he can so I need to say, I cannot give you assurance. You cannot give yourself assurance. No one in all the earth or above the earth or below the earth can give you assurance. And none of us needs to give you assurance. Your assurance comes from the Holy Spirit himself. Hey, do you know the name Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen was a movie star in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and frankly was quite reckless. He did exercise a couple times a day. But uh, McQueen could be kind of reckless. He, uh, towards the end of his life, he died in 1980 from cancer uh, in, um, uh, when he was 50 years old. But uh, he uh, married a woman who witnessed to him and shared the gospel with him. And at a uh, crusade where one of Billy Graham's associates was preaching, Steve McQueen gave his heart and life to Christ. But he was really worried and bothered about all of his foolishness and recklessness from his life before Christ. And so he contacted this evangelist and asked him if he could speak with Billy Graham. And Billy Graham met him between a couple of flights at the Los Angeles airport. And he sat down with Steve McQueen and Steve told him about his conversion. And he said, but I'm just not sure. How do I know? How do I know that I will be safe in eternity? So Billy Graham had his Bible with him and he opened up to Ch Titus chapter 1, verse number 2. And if we could read this on the screen, that would really help us. Titus chapter 1, where Paul wrote, Paul wrote, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Billy explained to him that God himself promised eternal life in Jesus Christ, and God does not lie. 
Well, Steve McQueen asked him, repeat that verse so I can write it down. And Billy said, no, just take my Bible and gave him that Bible. Steve McQueen con contracted cancer and uh, went for some experimental treatments in Ciudad Juarez, a city across from El Paso. And there he died. And when they found him in his bed dead, he had his Bible open and his finger pointing to Titus chapter 1, verse number 2. God cannot lie. Ladies and gentlemen, God has put his name behind your security and God cannot lie. Do you know what that means about God? <laughs> that means God is the easiest person in all the earth to relate to. On earth, in heaven, under the earth, every place else that you might be able to relate to someone. There is no one easier to walk with than Him. He's taken care of all the necessary arrangements for you to step into His pleasure and His approval and His satisfaction. And He's done it through the most perfect of all, someone without a blemish, Jesus Christ. And He has applied that through the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You will never find anyone easier to relate to than this God. He knows your sin, He knows your failure, and He still loves you. And He cares for you. And He wants you. And today He's calling you to Himself. And that's what He wants from you. And He's able to come through because God does not lie. In fact, God is love. And someone who loves you is not going to lie to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these marvelous promises. In fact, you have done for us what we can never do for ourselves. You've settled your own case against us, those who are the followers of Christ. And by your power, you recreate us into the image of Christ. And by your Spirit, you communicate assurance to everyone who believes in Jesus. And I ask God today that more of our friends will humble themselves to receive this great and sure and certain gift. Help them not to be arrogant or proud. Help them not to be hesitant or fearful. But let the Holy Spirit come and be He of power, love, and a sound mind in this time. That friends may turn to the Lord. Lord, there are some of our dear friends here that know the Lord that are doubting and struggling with assurance. I pray, O oh God, that you would help them to put themselves on certain ground and trust you as a solid rock underneath their feet. Let them have that assurance that they may move forward for Jesus Christ in His name. Today, if you need some spiritual help, we're going to give you that opportunity right now. Some of you need to turn to Christ today and say yes to Him. I want to tell you, God loves you, and He's done all that's necessary to bring you to Himself. Would you come? Others of you are struggling with assurance. You need someone to pray with you. Why don't you come? God is moving some of the rest of you to become part of Beach Haven. And we want to urge you to come as well. I want to ask you to quickly stand. I'm going to finish my prayer, and we're going to ask you to come this morning. Father, you've heard our prayer, and you see every need. And we want to plead in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do the work that is necessary for every person here to leave with genuine assurance of their security in Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's based on Him and not our behavior. And help us to trust that and act upon it now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.
You come. Jesus is-